So this afternoon I wanted to reinforce a little bit about why we practice, the view of practice, the kind of orientation of how and why we practice, which is so crucial. And the Buddha put right view at the head of the Eightfold Path, I think, for a really good reason. Because without a particular perspective of how we orient towards practice, how we orient towards attending to our experience, we probably would never find the way to freedom. And so it is pretty simple in some ways. I I said this morning that the purpose of our practice is to understand our minds so that we can begin to see how they participate in suffering. And that um, work begins to cultivate wisdom that helps our minds to release from struggle and to find a new a new direction. And so the right view, the right view of our practice is all around this question of what is suffering? How is it created? How might it be released? And what are tools that will support that work. In the uh, exposition on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, it, it defines, it defines right view in terms of the Four Noble Truths. So this is this is the perspective, this is the work that the Buddha undertook in his own practice. His question, the whole question that motivated him was, how, is it possible to be free from suffering? And so everything that he points to is orienting us in that direction to understand for ourselves how our minds contribute to suffering and that understanding releases us. It's the understanding that frees us and not an intellectual understanding but an experiential understanding. In the first discourse of the Buddha he elaborated the Four Noble Truths for the first time or in that, in that sutta, in any case. Um, the instructions in that teaching offer us not just some statements about suffering. That is one way that the, the Four Noble Truths are talked about. You know, there is dukkha, dukkha, the truth of dukkha the truth of the arising of dukkha, the second noble truth, the truth of the arising of dukkha, the third noble truth, the truth of the cessation of dukkha, the possibility of the cessation of dukkha, the fourth noble truth, the path leading to the cessation of dukkha. But in that that discourse, that first discourse, the Buddha also offers us some action some practice to go with each of these or uh, something to explore in relation to each of these truths. And for the first, the truth of suffering, he said, he he actually pointed to three insights around each of these or three things to explore around each of these four truths. The first thing he said with suffering, we need to recognize it. This is suffering. And that actually is an insight when we understand experience in that way, when we recognize the arising of frustration or anger as suffering, that's a very different thing than seeing it and thinking, oh, I need to do something with this, or this means something, or this this means that I have to 
to make sure somebody else does something. And so understanding it as suffering is the first thing that we recognize. We see this is suffering. And then the second is suffering should be understood. The second piece of this teaching, suffering should be understood. And so this is, this is pointing us towards mindfulness, awareness. The understanding here, meaning understanding in, in my way of understanding this text, that understanding here, suffering should be understood, doesn't mean thinking about it. Why is it happening? What happened to me when I was a kid? What happened in the past? How did that affect me in the past? How does that going to affect me in the future? That's all uh, relating to that in terms of I, me, mine. And instead, the understanding, my sense of the understanding the Buddha pointed to is the recognition, this, this is suffering and this is how it is experienced. And something in that understanding also begins to point to, often, what is putting this together? How is it coming to be? So we begin to understand something about the conditioned nature of that suffering through this meeting of experience. And the third insight is suffering has been understood. And to me, this actually begins to point to how essentially the work that we do is all contained in this first bit of understanding suffering. In my own practice, when the mind has deeply understood suffering, and the mind has met it, felt it, recognized it, saw how it was put together in a very clear way, when mindfulness was right there, able to meet that suffering fully, suffering has been understood allowed the release of that suffering. That it was the understanding, the depth of understanding that freed the mind from that suffering. And so this leads to the, to the next, in some ways we can look at these, these Four Noble Truths as being kind of a, you know, a sequence in a way. There is, there is suffering, suffering should be understood, suffering has been understood. With that understanding of suffering, the second Noble Truth, which is recognizing and seeing the arising of suffering related to craving, and that craving should be released or should be let go. And the, f the, the final one has been let go. When in my own practice I fully understood suffering, it's like the next piece of it just fell out. It was, there it fell. <laughs> The next piece of it just followed. When suffering is deeply understood, the mind releases the craving, releases the arising of that suffering. And the result of that is the third noble truth, the realization, the action associated with the third noble truth, the realization of the ending of suffering. And so this, in these first three, we can see this kind of natural unfolding from the understanding. And all woven through that is the fourth noble truth, which is the cultivation of the path. That is the action associated with the fourth noble truth. There is a path that leads to the end of suffering. There are tools, and those tools basically support us in cultivating understanding suffering. And so it kind of 
the, the fourth noble truth to me kind of weaves through the other three. The fourth noble truth provides the tools which allow us to understand. That's our practice. The tools that support the understanding. And so the understanding is what leads to the release, the freedom. And so that is our work. When we explore our experience and meet suffering and see suffering arising, see reactivity, it's not a mistake. When I was practicing with Saito Utejaniya for the first time, it was about 10 days, maybe almost two weeks into the retreat. And um, boy, there's a lot of suffering. And my mind at that point said something like, I've been on retreat for 10 days, you know, shouldn't be like this right now. Uh, Mine should be way more concentrated than this. And so there was a sense of this shouldn't be happening. And, And yet, you know, there was enough curiosity and enough interest in what was happening that I, I, I began, it's like, you know, well, what's happening here? And something about that curiosity, what is happening around this, you know, this suffering? What, what's going on here? My mind understood that, that this particular practice, its purpose I'd say all, all of Buddhist practice, ultimately the purpose will put us in contact with suffering. This one, really quickly, really kind of, it's a, it's, a, it's a beeline towards our dukkha. We are watching our minds and we get to really see how our minds create struggle, suffering, stress, dissatisfaction, unease, frustration, resistance, confusion. It's not a mistake. And so in that moment, as, as, uh, as I w- watched that, it didn't take very long when I had that thought, why am I still suffering? It's like the word even suffering. It's like, oh right, suffering. That's what this is. This is dukkha. The Buddha said I should understand dukkha. That's what I'm doing. Okay. And something about that, I mean, that was like the, the understanding of that first noble truth. Dukkha should be understood. That created the conditions for me to let go of the resistance or, or the idea, the belief that this shouldn't be happening. Some mistake must be happening here. I must be doing the practice in a fatally flawed way in order for there to be suffering, this much suffering, 10 days into retreat. It was simply this recognition, oh, this is dukkha. Dukkha should be understood. And while the dukkha didn't go away in that moment, the relationship to it changed. Relationship to it changed dramatically. And there was more curiosity and interest, more sense of allowing that dukkha, allowing that to be there, to be understood. We have to allow our suffering in order understand it. So our practice offers us the tools of understanding. It offers us what's happening directly, the exploration of cultivation of mindfulness, is a condition that supports us directly meeting, directly understanding, directly contacting experience. And if we can understand the perspective of whatever is arising should be understood, whether pleasant, unpleasant, whether dukkha or wholesome states of mind, whether reactivity or wholesome states of mind, whatever is arising should be understood. Should be we, There should be a sense of Ah, this too can be allowed. Oh, this is allowed. So we explore that possibility of allowing whatever is here. So the tool of mindfulness, 
cultivating a non-reactive attention to our experience. This is a main tool for understanding dukkha. The stability of mindfulness is another tool that supports us to understand our minds. And as the mindfulness begins to stabilize and there's a little more continuity, there can be more clarity in understanding how things happen. Through the continuity of mindfulness, we begin to really begin to um, see and recognize the conditioned nature of our experience. How things come together. What, what conditions things to be put together. How does this frustration arise? How does this love arise? So the continuity begins to help us to see the conditioned nature of our experience. And that conditioned nature of our experience begins to point out the impersonality of our experience. Seeing directly the impersonal, the, the, the conditionality of our experience, we start to really get it that I'm not in charge here. It's not really up to me choosing what the next thing will be. Conditions are unfolding and there's a natural unfolding of conditions. So the continuity of mindfulness helps us to, to see that conditioned nature of experience. And then the checking of the relationship to experience. Again, if we are if we are interested in understanding our minds and how they contribute to suffering, one of the things we need to understand, a little bit intellectually, because we do have to take in information. We take in information first through an intellectual lens. And so we kind of have to take in this information that there's a lot of ways that we suffer and struggle that are kind of below the radar. They're below the level of our, our conscious awareness. And the, when, when certain habits or patterns are operating below, below the level of our conscious awareness, they are reinforcing themselves deepening their ruts, deepening those grooves. And so if we have a habit or pattern of frustration or anxiety or confusion or anger, if we're not aware that that's happening while it's happening, the whole way in which we're engaged in practicing is reinforcing that. So we may, for instance, be practicing with a subtle agenda or attitude that If only I pay attention properly, this unpleasant thing will go away. Basically reinforcing aversion in the very way that we're paying attention. And so if we want to understand suffering and how it works in our minds, in our in our being. We have to start to be curious about what's operating that's not so obvious. What's operating below the covers, below our conscious awareness. And I'll, I'll, um, I'll give you a clue. If you're struggling, there's something going on. <laughs> there's any kind of sense of struggling. There's probably some kind of attitude or agenda or belief or view. I will go so far as to say there is some kind of attitude or agenda or belief or view or reactivity that is not being clearly seen. And so this is where checking the relationship, checking the attitude comes in. It's a kind of understanding, you know, this this checking the attitude or checking the relationship is a way of understanding and kind of um, it's a way of understanding that there are things operating that are not so clearly seen and that maybe if we're curious about it they'll be willing to peek themselves out from behind the covers. 
And so the question of what's the attitude or what's the relationship is kind of like just seeing, can we pull the curtain back a little bit? Or, or if it, with that invitation, with that, we can think of that as an invitation. What's the attitude? Anything want to show up? Anything want to kind of bubble into conscious awareness? Thinking of it as an invitation to see what's going on there, to see what might be below the surface. So with that invitation, we may start to see other forms of suffering that had been kind of buried. Again, this is not a mistake. This is, uh, in some ways, at over time, I would say, over time, we can start to celebrate when we see something that has been hidden, even when it's a, uh, a reactive state of mind. It's like, wow, I didn't know that greed was in there. Great. Oh, I'm so happy I'm seeing you right now. So the, the, the question of attitude or the invitation, what is the attitude, is, is a way to begin to expose. And it comes, the question itself comes from understanding, you know, from recognizing that there are so many different ways that we've been conditioned, habitually conditioned, that are so habitually conditioned we are not... It's like it's like they're so habitually conditioned that that it's the the what we're swimming in. It's hard to see, and yet sometimes with that kind of question, it can begin to po- to present itself to us. We can begin to recognize it, and so when we do that, we check the attitude, we check the relationship to experience. A lot of times, what happens? or often what we might discover as an attitude is a, is a habitual pattern that is related to some kind of greed, aversion, or delusion. Some kind of that core, root, uh, unwholesome tendency of mind that creates suffering. And so we are exposing the, the kind of the underlying tendencies towards suffering there through that question. There are many layers of that, layer upon layer of that. And it is possible to expose them. And so we, uh, in asking that relationship, if we see some kind of reactivity or um, greed, aversion, confusion, delusion, operating, that very exposing it, bringing it into conscious awareness, right there, we have the opportunity in that moment to recognize, ah, this is dukkha too. This is dukkha. And so that understanding can begin to be explored around what had previously been hidden. So it comes into conscious awareness and we simply explore, oh, and that, can, can, can I understand you? And so the, you know, I, I said earlier that we, um, we begin to move in the direction of an attitude, a wise attitude, an attitude that allows us to be at ease with whatever's happening through recognizing and bringing into consciousness attitudes that get in the way of that. So we, we see, oh, this, this too. Maybe this can be allowed too. As it comes into conscious awareness, there may be a very strong tendency to say something like, oh, there's reactivity, let me get rid of it. That's adding reactivity to reactivity. How about, oh, you're allowed to. You're allowed to. Maybe I can be with you. Maybe you can be understood. Yes, I can understand this too. 
And with that understanding, it is through understanding that transformation happens. This bit of information, really, the information that understanding leads to transformation, understanding leads to release. When we really get this, when we really deeply get that bit of understanding to move from our conscious, like surface level understanding into a deep knowing, a deep recognition, there is so much less resistance to practice. There's so much less resistance to what arises because it is just the next thing that needs to be seen and understood. It can be allowed, it can be met, and the confidence, really what begins to happen is the confidence over time as we practice in this way and practice with the exploration of, oh, can I understand this? Over time we get little tastes, I would say we get little tastes of the way that understanding leads to a transformation. That understanding leads to a release of that, of that experience. Seeing the arising of anger, no resistance whatsoever, witnessing it and watching it unfold in its own nature. It has its life, it has its own nature It arises and it passes away and we get to see it pass away and we get to see that the understanding of not getting hooked to the anger to try to do whatever we do with it, apply our old habits and patterns of reactivity, thoughts, getting engaged with it. As we can just witness and understand it, we see it arises and it passes away. And the confidence that begins to come through witnessing that simple understanding leads to transformation. That confidence really lets us take that truth of understanding leads to release more deeply so that it's not so much on the surface anymore. We, we, we know it for ourselves. We've seen it happen. We've seen understanding lead to release. So we don't have to just believe it intellectually anymore. We, we have a taste of that. And with that deeper kind of confidence in the practice, that Oh, we, we, we end up just really just wanting to understand our minds. We don't have to fight our minds anymore. And even when challenging things are arising, even when struggle, frustration, uh, anger, uh, hatred, self-hatred, whatever really challenging thing is arising, with this perspective of understanding leads to release. Not release on my time frame, by the way, but, but it will lead to release. Then the mind is much more willing to hover there and allow the understanding to be a very... The understanding itself also has its own time. We cannot force the understanding to happen. We create the conditions for the mind to be able to meet experience. That's what we do. We create the conditions for that meeting and the understanding arises out of that meeting. The release arises when the understanding arises. And we develop a confidence in that that just puts us right back to, yeah, it doesn't matter what's happening. Yeah, oh, there's that self-hatred. Can I be with that? And, and the whole attitude in the mind and it moves more towards right attitude where the mind is able to allow what's ever happening without resistance, without fighting, a way of being with experience that's at ease, even with self-hatred, even with rage, even with confusion, 
frustration, pride, arrogance, greed. The mind can be at ease with that. And that ease is kind of a, a ballast. It's a, it, it gives us a balance to be able to more fully allow what's there to be there for the understanding, the wisdom to develop in its own time. And so this really is a practice of patience. And yet it's not a practice of non-doing. We, what we do is we cultivate the conditions that create that stability of the mindfulness. We orient towards this perspective of right view, the curiosity of right view, and then cultivate the mindfulness and cultivate <coughs> the conditions to stabilize mindfulness. That's what we do. The understanding, the wisdom will develop in its own time and the release will very naturally follow. So that's kind of the reflections I wanted to offer this afternoon, just to remind us all of the, you know, the wisdom, the understanding that underlies what we're doing. It's, uh, sometimes it can be um, given that what we are doing is really simple, you know, we're just cultivating the conditions for um, stability of the mindfulness with that perspective of understanding suffering. And so there's not a lot that we're doing. And, you know, sometimes it can get to feel kind of mechanical. It's like, yeah, and why am I doing this? What, what? It's in the service of freedom. We are cultivating that stability of mind in the service of freedom. I have used that reminder for myself, why am I doing this? Oh, yes. I'm doing this simple practice in the service of liberation. Just as a kind of a reminder, you know, when we, when we, um, we can use our intellect to remind us of this perspective. We just have to recognize that our intellect doesn't quite have the power to free us. It can create, you know, if we drop in, for instance, things like, yes, I'm doing this in the service of liberation, or something like, right, this is nature, this is dukkha, a reminder to ourselves of the perspective of wisdom, the perspective reminding ourselves of that consciously knowing that's not the same thing as the depth of understanding, but it has a power to it when we remind ourselves of that perspective. It often has a power to help us, oh yeah, I can be with this. I can cultivate this continuity. Maybe there's a reminder of something I've understood before that helps me to keep going. So there's time for questions about the practice or anything that I've said or anything you've noticed or experienced. Any questions? Yeah, and I'll, I'll just repeat the question. Okay, so I've noticed that there's, there's a certain stability of awareness, but it's in, there's this un, very, very underlying kind of tension that sometimes accompanies that. It's like in some ways I'm intentionally holding that. Yeah. And if I, and if I drop that completely and just use the reminders, it feels like my mind is just distracted all over the place. So the sense of 
um, you can have a little bit of stability, but it feels like you're doing that. It feels like you're holding to that a little bit. And there's a tension there. Um, and that if you let go of that, it feels like the mind just starts wandering. I see. Um, okay, so so when you when you let go of like kind of holding to that with that, uh, there's a sense of underlying tension. So a recognition of an underlying tension there. Um, and when you let go of that and just fall back to just, am I aware? What am I aware of? It just feels like you're saying that in your mind. It doesn't really feel connected. Is that what you mean? So, so um, you can connect, but it doesn't have the quite the same feeling of when you're holding to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it is. And what I would say is there's a little bit of attachment to wanting to hold on to it. And that attachment itself is, is constructing that state of mindfulness, that state in a way that is not so relaxed and not so easeful. And so there's a little bit of fall back or, or step back to, yeah, so it doesn't quite, yeah, I know how to hold on to mindfulness. I know how to hold on a little bit, but it feels tense. If I come back to just, am I aware? Yeah, okay. It, it kind of maybe feels more like little blips of awareness rather than a, a stable awareness. But does it seem like there's a lot of wandering mind in there when you're you're doing that, um, or is it just more like it's less of a sense of a of a of a of a of a zone or a? So the, um, this is another piece, I think, so that, that sometimes there's a sense of a field of awareness rather than the specifics. And this is pointing to basically the recognition of kind of understanding or, or being in knowing awareness and knowing what awareness is aware of. You know, so recognizing, yep, there's a sound, there's a, there's a sensation, there's a sight, there's a thought, you know, it's kind of more the objects of experience. Uh-huh. But that's so in a sense you might say the body has become what I'm aware of. Yes. Yes. So the the awareness of the body becomes clear. When when there is that field of awareness, it feels embodied in a way. Um so one thing I, I want to just check in again. Um you know, you talked about when you have that embodied sense, is there tension? that's the direction we're, we're, we're headed towards. Um, it may only come for little moments. It may be there, and then, and then the attention, you know, kind of moves to something else. Well, that's okay. Because I, I feel like at that point I'm supposed to add the question, what am I aware of? Oh, you don't have to add the question there. Okay. Yeah, no, y you don't have to add that question. It's fine, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're landing there, and you, you know, so, so that's, it's fine actually to just, to just cultivate that field without then trying to move to, and what am I aware of? Over, sometimes that's an easier way in for people. Sometimes people have an easier way into stabilizing the mindfulness in noticing what the mind is landing on. And sometimes people have an easier way into stabilizing it through noticing that sense of presence. And so if, if that's easier for you, that's fine. And, and yet, you know, kind of like, you don't have to keep asking the question, like, what am I aware of? But be curious, because that awareness is aware of something. As you said, it's kind of aware of the, the kind of the whole experience of the body. And so, you know, just, just, you don't have to keep asking the question, what am I aware of? Just, okay, this is awareness, I know I'm aware. And in time, the mind will begin to recognize more clearly that there are 
um, uh, that 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 what it is aware of in that in that field. So and that's fine to to just kind of stabilize there, as long as it's not like trying to hold on to that. So it sounds like the place where the, the tension is happening is in the asking of the, what am I aware of? Well, yeah, because that's such a clear experience, and then I'm thinking, well, how come I'm not hearing or seeing or these other things that obviously are going on? Okay, so, so you know, that, as I said earlier, the, you know, the, that experience of knowing that you're aware, you know, sometimes it can be very clear, but what we are aware of is not clear. And that's okay. If you if it's not if it's not clear what you are aware of, then just rest with that. The field, the field of awareness. Over time, a- and probably what will happen in that field is there'll be at some point, kind of like it's kind of like that seeing looking thing that I talked about this morning. You know, in the seeing, it's not like you're saying, "Oh yeah, I'm noticing all these individual things." It's just this taking in, kind of the breadth of seeing. But at some point in seeing, the mind looks at something, and, uh, and you know that. And likewise in this, that may not be so clear, you know, what it is the, the, the mind is aware of in that field. Because there's so many, there's so many um, experiences that are much more vague or broad or undefined objects of experience, objects of awareness, that um you know we don't have names for so the state of being you know the state of of um contacting kind of the 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 sense of inner being in in our system we have a capacity to do that to kind of just kind of take in the gestalt of how we are but we don't have a name for that you know we don't really have Oh, it's that pressure, or that frustration, or that sensation, or that sound. It's not that. It's it's a much more diffuse experience, and a lot of uh, what we be- begin to become aware of in this, um, you know, as we recognize the awareness. Over time, the mind begins to recognize this broader kind of experience more clearly. And to begin to recognize, oh, what the mind is knowing right now is its state. Its state of being. And it may just be very general, like this is a state of ease, or there's a state of tension. <laughs> so it may be just very broad. And it's not like, oh yes, it's here in the body. It's you know this location or this. It's, it's a much more um, broad sense. And so some of the time as we open to awareness, you know, oh, I'm aware, I know that I'm aware. Sometimes the, the thing that awareness is interested in is something we don't consciously have a name for. And that, I would say, is probably what's happening there. You know, it's like, th- it's very clear to the experience. Yes, this is a clear experience, but I don't, I can't, I don't know what I'm aware of. It's not a sound. It's not a, sen- bod- a specific body sensation. I can rule out these things, but I can't point to what it is aware of. <laughs> and so just just be there with that. And over time, that um, the curiosity of, of hanging out with that begins to clarify a little bit what those states are. And you'll begin to notice some variation in there. You know, it's not just one thing that's happening there. It, it, uh, it can have a feeling of some stability there, but there's some fluctuation in there. So you can be curious about, okay, what is this? It's, you know, is it really solid? Is it really like one thing? Is it, how is it changing? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it would be very quiet for a while. And then maybe there would be a sensation in the body that would pop up. 
and it would arise and pass very quickly. And then I'd go back, um, I wouldn't go back, but then th th it was just very quiet. There was nothing, and, and there was a humming in the mind, but, and it was a very high-pitched humming, but it was very soft. Mm -hmm. So, the, except for the pop of the sensations, everything was extremely soft. But there was not very much arising and passing. It felt like there was just sort of silence. So again, this is, uh, ag again, where we often, this very similar in a way to what, uh, what Sally was talking about, the, the sense of just being, and there's stuff going on, but it's like, it's like, it's like remote. It's just quiet. It's not like pulling the attention. It's, it's, it's not even that interesting, you know. It's just like background radiation. Um, in that place, you know, there is something going on, and you pointed to, you checked the attitude, and it was neutrality. And, and this also is something useful. When there's that state of just like, uh, of being there, you know, checking the attitude, checking, yeah, no, I, don't, I don't see greed, aversion, or confusion. Or love. Or right, right. And yet, so, so, so there is a feeling of neutrality, and yet, you know, what is that okay? Because it, it, it kind of sounds like there was an okayness there. there was, it was. It was just like, this is just what's happening. Yes. That the, the confusion came after a while of, I, I mean, I watched the mind want to find something. Yes, and that's a habit. <laughs> Wanting to find something is a habit. Yeah, Th so that question of when things feel easeful, you know, but a lot of us have this when, when we um, have been practicing with a lot of suffering and we land in a place where it's much more easeful. It's like, what do I do with this? <laughs> How do I stay with this? Um, you know, so part of it, I think, again, checking the attitude and being curious about that okayness. Because that, that okayness itself is actually, it's like that's a doorway towards the, the other um, kind of flavors of wise attitude that, that can begin to infuse like kindness and love and uh, gratitude. So, you know, so that, that sometimes when we, we first touch into that ease, it feels so nothing that it's like, well, that's just, you know, there's nothing to see there. But there, there can be a sense of, okay, even just acknowledging, okay, this is ease. This is the experience of ease. This is no problem. That's another, another good one. This is the experience of no problem. And so the quiet itself is an experience. I'm not articulating. Well, partly I think it's just an unfamiliarity with a state that's, that's, like you said, there's just this quiet, there's not much happening. The quiet itself is a state the mind can be in and that can just be known. There's, there's nothing to do there. In fact, one thing in terms of, um, you know, exploring the edge around it, 
It's like the mind is in a pretty balanced place with that kind of state. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty balanced. And so doing anything is bringing in our idea that something else should be happening or what else should I be doing? And, and that's, you know, that's already you know, bringing uh, an old pattern in. And so you know, maybe the exploration could be Okay, what is this? You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like you're just in this room and, and you can't see anything. It's like, okay, what is this? I can't, you know, what? Let me just feel my way here, and be willing to not hold on to it. I mean, you you kind of said, how do I how do I stay with that? And yet sometimes the way to stay with it is not to try to stay with it, but kind of to be willing to see. Well, where does the mind kind of want to go here? Uh-huh. If anything, you know, um, and, and not, but I don't know if I stay there long Yeah, and sometimes what happens, I've, I've been in s- situations like that, it's like, oh yeah, okay, I've, I, I can just, what, what's going to happen next? You know, kind of with a little bit of anticipation. And when nothing happens next, it's like, oh, I'm doing it wrong, you know. So, so that it can bring a little bit, that we can have a little bit of an agenda in there even. And so just, you know, it's like sometimes just checking the attitude. It's like, and what's the attitude here? Yeah, wanting it to continue. Okay, or fear it's not going to continue. Or um, what happens next? <laughs> you know, kind of a sense of, of needing to know what's going to happen next. There's lots of different things that can be in there. And that that's a big a big one. When we are unfamiliar with something, that that can bring in a lot of r- relationship. And so the very unfamiliarity um, is worth again it's kind of like as i said you're kind of there without being able to see things so it's like willingness to be in that unfamiliarity and And that the trusting is something that cult is cultivated we we often can't just say oh i'm going to trust this it's too unknown to just put our trust in it right away it's kind of more like oh am i willing oh maybe i'm willing to trust this for a minute you know or half a second and um, you know, so the, 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 the trust is cultivated over time. I guess it was more the trust of the Dharma. Mm-hmm. Versus, I mean, that yeah. Type of trust yes. Well, trust in your capacity to be with experience. Yeah. And what I find often in that kind of a space is, you know, the willingness to not hold on to it but kind of see, you know, where's it going to go? And, and, you know, in that willingness to kind of let the mind find its own way, very frequently the mind will lose touch. It will get lost. It'll, you'll wake up three minutes later and it's like, oh, mine got lost. Instead of having the idea of, oh, I didn't do it right, how can I stay with it? It's more like be willing to let the uh, awareness get lost be willing to let it get lost, and over and over again it may get lost, but each time there may be a little bit more of possibility to let the awareness follow that kind of slip. We, we begin to, to develop the capacity to follow the mind slipping into even something even more unknown than, <laughs> than what is already here. So it, it takes a lot of trust to, to be willing to be out of, con- to not be in control of holding the mind here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, I've noticed uh, while sitting, you know, that the body is very aware. And then after the sit, getting up, the, the pain of the knee or the pain in the back, all of a sudden just comes to the forefront. And so I okay, I see you. I I feel you. Okay, that's just that's just that, you know. And, and uh, um, I d- you know I don't know that there are any tools other than just you 
Well, what's the relationship in that moment? It sounds like you, you're, you're cultivating that allowing attitude. I'm not sure what the relationship is other than I feel the pain when I, you know, get up to walk, you know, uh, whereas I'm sitting still. It'll, it'll come up every periodically, you know, that, oh, okay, I, yeah, I feel you. Uh-huh. And then just come back to the, to the mind. Yeah, I, I see the mind. I, I understand, not understand it, but I, I see it in the sense that there's no pain there, but there is in the body. Yeah, and so what is that relationship uh, in the mind to the physical pain? Well, there's there's no pain in the mind. There there is in the body, you know. And, and it it I mean, there's been times when I'll I'll be walking. They're okay. I how does the body feel? Well, there's pain here. There's pain there. And how does the mind feel? Oh, it's pretty joyful. Uh-huh. And so I put that to the Okay, yeah, and that and that's that sounds like there's not a, a contracted relationship to the pain then. Um, because if there were, there would be experience you'd be experiencing pain in the mind <laughs> of the aversion of get rid of that, push yeah, it away. Yeah. And that's been the work is not trying to push it away, but just it's there. Yeah. It's there. Yeah, and and you know experiencing that joy, that possibility. That's, you know, that's that's fine. You know, it it it's it might be interesting to see, you know, when you get up, it sounds like the physical comes to the fore again. And, you know, that's, that's also okay. You know, it's like, is it a problem that the attention goes there? It seems very natural that the mind would do that as you're standing up and moving. It's like something about understanding that pain in the body will help you to walk in a way that is more suitable given the condition of the body. And so, you know, it, the, the, physica- the, the pain, the physical pain itself is designed in a way to help us, you know, navigate our world. And so it, it doesn't have to be a problem that it's in the forefront. And so, you know, just check in. I, I, there may be, I just, you know, just check in a little bit. There may be a kind of a preferencing for going to the mind because it tends to have more joy, more delight. And so a very subtle, perhaps, moving away from the physical pain, a form of aversion, a very subtle form of aversion. I I did look at, okay, what was it about last night sleeping that, and I noticed when the window was open, the fan was on, and I just had a sheet. And this knee is titanium, Well, and that kind of, of reflection is, I mean, it, that can be useful, but that's, that's more the intellectual kind of reflection. And so it's like, well, there's that experience. Is it, you know, it's, is it okay? Is it, do I, can I be with that? The attention is drawn there. Is that a problem? Yeah. You know, what's, what's the experience? So that, um, you know, if, you, if you're pulling away from the pain in order to, you know, shift to a more pleasant experience in the mind, that, that might be worth looking at. No, it just, it, it, for, for me it is, I, I know it's there, I see it, or I feel it, uh, and then I kind of just accept it. Uh-huh. Okay, you're there, uh-huh. see you. And then, then in my mind, Great. That sounds fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fine. (laughs) And it's time to stop. (coughs) So, just letting the words, seeing how you are in this moment, let the words drift away and are you aware? There's no particular thing we need to be aware of. Whatever is here already, that 
That is what we can be aware of. Relax. Receive. Allow. Allow. 